Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute and talk about a product that we both love and use, and that is Simple Spectrum Supplement. Simple Spectrum is doctor formulated and third party tested, and they use only the highest quality of bioavailable ingredients. So it is free of all the junk and Simple Spectrum was designed with our kids and their sensory needs in mind. So it is unflavored dissolvable powder that is free of gluten, casein, added sugar, soy, Basically, it's everything you want and nothing that you don't want. Another reason why I love Simple Spectrum is because they are a brand that really educates and supports families, and they're putting out products that parents can trust. They also just recently came out with a fish oil that is awesome. I will say that we've been using Simple Spectrum for a while now, and when we first started using it with Logan, we really noticed a difference in his overall focus and attention, and that is something that the whole time we've been using it, we have continued to see the benefits of. So if it's something that you're interested in trying, you can go to their website. And if you use the code AIA at checkout, then you will receive free shipping on your order. So definitely, I totally recommend it. And like I said, if you want to try it, you can use the code AIA and you will get free shipping. Now on to the episode. everyone welcome to adventures in autism episode 166 i am megan carranza thank you so much for coming to listen if it is your first episode welcome so happy to have you and if you've been listening thank you so much for coming back to the show and i hope everybody who celebrates had a wonderful thanksgiving i took last week off the podcast which i rarely do but the kids were off school and it just felt like a good time to kind of chill out at home enjoy some family time which we did it was a very low-key week and we had a really nice thanksgiving all together which is you know what it's all about so yeah, it was a, it was a good time and it was nice to kind of take a week off and now I'm refreshed and coming back to the pod with a really great episode. My guest today is another Megan and this is really fun because Megan and I actually did a little pod swap. Megan hosts a podcast called On the Hard Days and I was a guest on her podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, it came out just a couple days ago. Definitely check out her podcast and my episode there, but she has many, many great episodes and it was really fun to kind of share my story, hear her story. And I'm really excited to have her on the show today because Megan definitely does have a unique journey with her son. He does not have a a finite diagnosis. He is not diagnosed with autism. And Megan really just kind of puts him in the category of neurodivergence or neurodiversity. And I think that there are many people that are listening to this that are going to relate to what she's sharing in this episode. I know when I was listening back and and even when her and I were just having the conversation, there were so many things that she was sharing that I really, I've heard echoed in, in past episodes. And I feel like oftentimes when you have a child that, you know, has challenges and struggles, but it's, you know, they're not like quite to the point where they would get that diagnosis or you're really having to like push for that diagnosis. It's just 
you know, it's, it can be really difficult. And I, I, my heart goes out to, to anyone in that situation. Um, but what I love about what Megan shares, especially today is we talk a lot about parenting in general and how, you know, she had these ideas of what parenting would look like. And Megan's a teacher. So we talk about that as well. Um, but really just like these, this idea of like, there's a right and a wrong way to parent. And, you know, when you have a child who is not so typical, it's like, all that kind of goes out the window and, you know, you're really on like a different playing field. So it was really interesting to hear Megan's story and just her perspective. And she is just a delight. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Megan. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I was just saying, I always feel comfortable with another Megan. Yeah. <laughs> thrilled to have you we were just saying too we were connected by my amazing friend jody friend of the pod she's been on i think like two or three times at this point i've been on her show um i adore jody and she had done your podcast spoiler for mm-hmm. <laughs> people listening you are a podcaster as well and she was like i have got to connect you too so i'm so thrilled to to have you on and we're doing a little pod swap so i will be on your podcast as well, which is so exciting. But I really am excited to hear your story because I know a little bit from what Jody has told me and just the little bit of, you know, what I've seen you sharing. And I'm really excited to kind of dive into the whole thing. So if you will kind of take us back to the beginning, I would love to hear. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I, first of all, am a teacher. I'm an elementary school teacher. This is my 15th year Um, and I say that because as someone who has worked with children for so long, including being a babysitter and working in daycares and all of that, I really thought going into motherhood that I knew what I was doing and that I knew how to raise any child of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, with any sort of behaviors or whatever. And I was dead wrong. Um, so I am the mother of three. I have eight-year-old twins and a five-year-old and my eight-year-old twins, um, when they were born, they were five weeks early. Um, but they otherwise were pretty healthy and I very much lucked out there. My son, they're boy, girl twins. And my son, um, he was a very calm baby actually. And my daughter had some colic stuff. And so I thought, wow, he's a breeze. Um, <laughs> and she's 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 uh, high maintenance a bit. Um, but that changed too. And when my son was about uh, maybe seven months old, he and his sister were bouncing in those bouncer things that hang from the from the top of the, you know, the walls. And they were bouncing up and down. And I handed them the top of a Brussels sprouts container. It's that crinkly plastic material because I was like, oh, you know, babies like that crinkly sound. And um, I handed them each one and my my daughter loved it. And my son screamed like he was in pain. It hurt him. And I remember thinking, hmm, that's weird. I did not expect that reaction. Um, maybe, maybe that's something to keep an eye on. And fast forward when he was almost one, he never crawled, not a scoot, not a slide, not not anything. He stood up and would cry and scream and cry and scream because he wanted to move his body and he could not until he learned to walk. Once he did learn to walk, he just went straight to walking, but there was no in between. And I did not know that that was not normal. 
Um, and there was the, so these little sort of red flags. He did lose some sounds. Gosh, how old was he there? Um, about one and a half. He maybe, yeah, ish around there. He lost some sounds and that's concerning. Um, we ended up uh, going to an ear, nose, and throat person because the pediatrician said that there was fluid in his ears and um, almost had tubes put in, but ended up putting him on a liquid uh, Claritin, which did clear it out, the liquid, and did seem to help with some, gain some of those sounds back. But that was kind of a gray period where I didn't really feel like we had many answers either. Um, and above all else, he was melting down. Um, and these meltdowns were multiple hours long sometimes they sometimes didn't seem like they had a reason I, I couldn't figure it out so much screaming um so much anger um even as a toddler and i remember thinking that i was very concerned that children are supposed to be happy my kid was not he was miserable all the time um so he did join, um, get some early intervention help. Not for what I thought. I, I thought they were coming to help with speech things. They, he, they ended up helping him with um, crossing the midline, which is something I had never heard of. And um, mm -hmm. that whole part of your body, because he did not crawl, he did not have the back and forth. Um, it was very interesting, um, but also slightly alarming. That wasn't even on my radar. We started OT. Um, and over the years, um, I think we sort of took care of the um, midline stuff through OT. And the speech things got better. Um, he started using his words more and pointing and grunting less. He was um, tested for autism during that early intervention block. And the woman came to our house and did her whole thing. And she said after that she does not think he's autistic, but that he's quirky was her word. Mm -hmm. Um Fast forward, he his meltdowns are still absolutely massive. I mean, and he was there were some signs of OCD, definitely sensory issues, um, and he would just fly into rage, 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 and he would take a lot of his anger out on his twin sister, and she's always been the sort of eager to please, and that was painful for me as a mom. I could not stop his screaming. In fact, um, the first episode of my podcast is me telling the story of my one of my rock bottom parenting moments when my son had this two hour long meltdown about the way that I spread peanut butter on his waffle and the way that it wasn't filling the holes of the waffle just quite right. He had just turned three. He was uh, really, um, gosh, just a month over three. I was nursing his six week old baby brother. And this child, I didn't know how to help him. And I started thinking about all these traditional parenting methods that I had heard about for neurotypical kids. And it's like, well, especially as a teacher too, um, thinking that, well, if I just X, Y, Z, that that will fix the problem. So he just needs a, a place to calm down. He needs to calm down on his own. Okay. So I try putting him in his room and he's, I'm like, you just need to calm down here, buddy. I was at my wits end. No clue what I was doing. And he's barreling into the door, throwing himself into the door. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to hurt himself. Bring him downstairs. Um, I'm like, oh, well, it's a beautiful day. Let, let's try fresh air because he won't stop screaming. And um, we try some fresh air. He's on my deck and I'm right there, um, right inside the, the door. But it is, it's a glass door and I can see him. I'm trying to nurse the baby and feed my other kid. And he starts flipping over my deck furniture at 
age three, but barely three. I mean, he, it was a month after turning three. And I was like, okay, this is, what do I do? Uh, this is like almost an emergency at this point. Um, he did not get hurt or anything. And obviously I went right out there and, and helped him. But then my neighbor came over. He was this elderly man. He wanted to make sure that I wasn't harming my child who was oh. screaming for hours. And I think that that was this moment where it's like, okay, my kid is different. And I am trying all the things that I have been told to do in raising kids. None of it is working. And I don't know who to go to because I'm still hearing so much of that that it's my fault, you know, that I'm not parenting the correct way for a kid like him, but what is the correct way? Mm -hmm. So super, super frustrating. He did uh, have a neuropsych eval done at age four by a child psychologist who gave him a um, label of twice exceptionality or two E mm -hmm. being gifted with possible anxiety. And I knew that there was more to it, but he couldn't tell he was only four. He did screen him for autism there said, I don't think so, but he's quirky. Like, okay. <laughs> like keep hearing this word. Um, we saw OT again. We have tried some therapies. Um, he was retested at age six with another child psychologist, still twice exceptional, still anxiety, um, still quirky <laughs> and not really getting any different, um, you know, different opinions. And then he is now eight, but when he was seven, sort of hit a rock bottom with these, the, the transition to kindergarten was terrible. And that led into um, first grade as well with massive, massive, aggressive meltdowns multiple times a day for 45 minutes at a time. And finally, my pediatrician said, you know, I, I think we should try some medication. And we decided at that point to do that. And that's obviously a super personal decision for everybody. There's no judgment here either way. But for us, we were like, this is rock bottom and we can't live like this. And our, our other children are scared of him and walking on eggshells all the time and don't want to set him off. And it's really not a good situation. And my pediatrician put him on ADHD medication and it worked, worked, you know, quote unquote worked, but it, uh, it helped him dramatically be able to bring down his zero to 60, um, and so now I guess he has ADHD, <laughs> um, you know, so he's, it's one of those things where I'm starting to learn about neurodiversity in children, a laundry list of struggles that it's never really just one thing and mm -hmm. um, how little knowledge there is of neurodiverse children out there in the world. Um as a teacher, I wasn't taught this in college. My, my co-teachers, I mean, nobody knows about this. Mm -hmm. It looks like bad behavior. It is not. And to get people to see and understand that is such a challenge. So we are hanging in there, um, but I have kind of pursued this side hobby in addition to teaching now of trying to find moms like me who were hiding and struggling because there's so much blame on yourself and, and shame and guilt. And, um, and those moms really need to find their people like I did. And so that's sort of my mission now. And that is the story in a nutshell. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm sure like everyone listening obviously can, can relate to you, but as I was listening to your story, especially with like your neighbor coming over and just that, like, what is going on here kind of thing. It's like, if you're not 
familiar with this life and you know really like living it every day you can't just like be moonlighting in this like it's it's a 24 7 thing you really just wouldn't get it and there are so many things that like you said probably look like bad behavior or other people would maybe think like what is going on what are they doing and it's it's so frustrating when, you know, you're the parent and you're like, no, no, this is just our life. This is Mm -hmm. just (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing to see here. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And that was frustrating too, because the judgment that comes from other people, including your own family and friends. And it's, you know, I found it almost more exhausting to try to explain to them. And instead that's, that's when I start to clam up. That's when I stop talking because they're saying, well, I hear what you're saying, but maybe you should just try, maybe if you just, you know, your kid's being really yeah. disrespectful. Maybe you, you're, you're not disciplining enough. Maybe your, your boundaries aren't tight enough and whatever Again, it is, you know, and it's exhausting. Onto you. It's like, you're doing something wrong for your child to be acting like this. Yeah. Yeah. And that hurts because I, again, have this identity of some, as someone who takes care of children mm-hmm. and, Um, I built my whole life around understanding kids and I don't understand my own child and neither does anybody else. So now I'm working my tail off to understand him. And I'm, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up, the last thing I think about before I fall asleep, endless research, endless, you know, listening to other people's podcasts and reading articles and really diving deep into what is going on with my child, but nobody else is doing that work. You know, it's just me. And so I have, I have to be his advocate and that's, that's just how it has to be. Yeah, absolutely. The, the part, like, cause I, I hear and I understand so much of what you're saying. Um, but it's like listening to you saying that you had taken him for, you know, so many different evals with different doctors and to, you know, kind of keep hearing like, Oh, he's quirky. And like you said, like twice exceptional, is it, frustrating for you to not have like the finite diagnosis or are you just kind of like well this is where we are both (laughs) um when he had no diagnosis at all especially around that preschool age that was really hard for me because there was so much blame there and that was when I was starting to you know show what he was doing in public or with family or friends and and that's when everything really opened up And I was getting all this parenting feedback, try gentle parenting. Well, I love the concept behind gentle parenting, but I was trying certain things that I was hearing with him and it wasn't working. He was, he was almost using the way I was conducting myself to my disadvantage against me. And, and I felt like, no, this doesn't feel right. We're losing our trust in each other. We're losing our relationship. This is, this is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting the twice exceptional label which I did not understand twice exceptionality at that time either. So I was like, okay, well, there's something. When I have to admit that when that psychologist, when he was four, came out to me during one of his little snack breaks and said, have you ever considered that your child is gifted? Mm. And no, I had not. That was, you know, I kind of hung on to that word and it's that word is stereotyped as well and misunderstood what giftedness really means in kids. Mm. But at the time I clung to that because it was like, well, there's this, the meltdowns are extreme and the aggression and the rage, and we can't take him anywhere. And we, we don't know how to parent him. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least there's this. And now I've learned over the years how to sort of 
use the gifted piece and to help him understand himself. Um, although that's no cakewalk either. So I need, I needed a diagnosis. I needed something. However, it's still not clear and he's eight and it may never be clear. And, you know, now that I can say he is a neurodiverse child, I never even heard of that word before he was born. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, I feel better about that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first time I heard the term twice exceptional, it was probably a couple of years ago. I had a, um, a special education attorney on the podcast and we just talked about advocating and IEPs and just kind of like what, what you're able to kind of fight for and what you should fight for with your child. And that was the first time I'd heard the term twice exceptional. And then since then I've connected with several people who have twice exceptional children. Um, and it, it is one of those things where, like you said, it's like, you're, you're, I totally can understand where, where you're like, I'm just happy to have something that we can work from and work mm -hmm. off of, because I can only imagine how frustrating it was up until that point to be like, I just don't know what is going on. Especially again, for you, I think all mothers, we do this to ourselves of like, you know, this is my child. I should understand my child. But for you, it's, it's more than just your child. It's your, your life's work as a teacher. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's a reflection of you, right? How your children act and how they behave, especially when you're a new mom mm -hmm. and your kids are little, it feels there's so much pressure there to perform and have your kids perform and watching friends with their neurotypical kids, even still to this day, it's still makes me roll my eyes. I still have to work on that where it's like, oh, go get your shoes on. And the kids are like, okay. And they go and do it. And I'm like, what? You know, I, I can't, I can't relate, but, but it's not my fault. And I felt this, and it's not my kid's fault either. And I felt this strong desire to sort of yell from the top of a mountain, like you come here and try to parent him. We are doing our best. We are loving on him and trying to get him to see his own strengths and gifts and and we're drowning and instead of people understanding i just felt like we were getting oh that's too bad better you than us sort of reactions and that drove me nuts too and it's not that i i think i had to go through my own grieving process as well and that's why it came out sort of angry like this is not my fault well none of it's anybody's fault and not only that but my kid is amazing. He's a mm -hmm. wonderful child, but it is hard for other people to see that when what they see looks like temper tantrums, mm -hmm. you know? And so it has been a, that, that hasn't gone away. That's still this frustrating thing. And, and every time he starts a new grade level and needing to explain to his teacher all over again, because they don't get it just mm -hmm. like I didn't. And I have to explain how he ticks and that's going to take a while. So it's just frustrating. I was going to ask that, does he have an IEP or like what kind of support does he have at school if he doesn't have like the traditional diagnosis? Yeah. So no IEP at this point, he has a 504 for anxiety. And mm -hmm. honestly, we got that last year. I'm not entirely sure they would have even given it to me but I'm a teacher in the next town over <laughs> and it was pretty much used pulling that card. Yeah. Um, because he, here's the thing, his behavior in school is perfect. His grades are great because of the gifted piece. Yeah. But he's bored out of his mind because mm -hmm. he's multiple grade levels ahead. So they're not meeting him where he's at academically and behaviorally. 
he's not himself at school. He's very, very quiet. And he, he's afraid of having other people watch him lose his mind. And he said that before, um, that he, he does, he holds it all together until he steps off that bus and then forget it. And that's because he'd be mortified to have other kids see him in an out of control state. So he, I mean, when I think about that, how much energy he has to put every day into keeping his body put together, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and so when they say he's doing great, it's like, but, but he's not. Well, <laughs> and, he's masking. He's yes, masking. Exactly. Like you said, it's like, he's holding it together just so. And then when he comes home, it's like that mask comes off and he's exactly. comfortable. And that's when he can really kind of like have that release. And that's probably why it's, it's so much bigger and, worse for you guys because he is holding it together. So it's taking all his energy to hold it together in school. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And he's doing a good job. And, yeah. and never did I, you know, we don't put that sort of pressure on him. I just wanted to see what would happen. But naturally he is the kind of child who is very, very self-aware, very self-conscious and wants to appear like he's like everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's hard. It, it's, it's an, Every year battle, I'm sure we'll be having this battle every year till he leaves the house, if, mm -hmm. when. Um, but it's now my job to, if no one else is going to fully understand him, then that's on me. And um, that's like my life's work now, I guess. And I think all moms of neurodiverse kids feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious for you, because you are a teacher, I mean, we talk about IEPs and school and inclusion and self-contained, all that kind of stuff all the time on the podcast. Yeah. And it's been a, it's been difficult for me to kind of like find my, like really voice my opinions on it because as a mother, uh, you know, my son Logan has his autism and he's, is non-speaking and he definitely has like more challenges and like needs kind of like more support in school. So he is in a self-contained classroom mm -hmm. and has been really like his whole, since like preschool. Um, and we have explored other options for him and just always kind of came back to, we felt that this was really like the best place for him and, and still feel that way, like probably even more so. Um, but it's funny because there's such a push for inclusion. It's something I, I still get asked about of, you know, like, don't you believe in inclusion? And don't you think he should be in an inclusive classroom? And the answer that I always give is just that I, I just think it's so individual for each child and you have to do what's best for them. And I do think there are so many holes and flaws in our school system and yeah, like I said, we're really just, we're doing the best, the best that we can as a teacher. What is your perspective on that? Mm. We could be here all day for that one. <laughs> um, I am with you. The system is unbelievably broken mm -hmm. and I have to admit that I'm having a little bit of a midlife crisis here in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, I think when we were home at first. And I really got to spend quality time with my kids, but especially my son and starting to understand how he works. And I wasn't able to see that when I wasn't home with him all day. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to, wow, this, the, the system is failing you. 
Um, and that led to me going into my own classroom and looking at my students in a whole new way mm-hmm. and looking for those kids where what you see look like, quote unquote, bad behavior, but but there's always something underneath it. And we are not trained at all as to why that may be so. Mm-hmm. The only there's actually no training whatsoever on uh, like behavior management and that sort of thing. But but the the vibe that we we get um, is that we need to have good behavior management strategies. It's on us. We have to crack down on behaviors. We have to, without ever understanding why they're there in the first place, and it has led me to this whole different viewpoint. And I have to admit that I'm struggling with it. I still, I struggle with it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure that I give my students what they need. And I do think I'm now doing a better job of that, but I put my own children on a bus every day to send them to a great school. It's, but it's just a school mm-hmm. where he's not understood. And, and I don't think such a school, it, it really exists. It's certainly hard to find. There is no training. The whole system really needs to be completely overhauled. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I don't know how much longer I can still do it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I imagine how difficult that would be for you. Cause really like, I think if you have a typical child, the system is fine. Yeah. Like really, I think there's, there's very few issues that will arise that you can't conquer if your child is typical. It's when anything is outside of the box, that's when things happen. And I could see how, you know, as, as a teacher, this is your profession, having such that, you know, internal struggle with also being a parent of a neurodiverse child. Yeah, it is. It is a, a daily struggle. Um, I had this one student um, a couple of years ago and she was clearly gifted, but I didn't even again, understand giftedness or anything like that. And I remember this will probably be something that stays with me for a long time. She was the kind of kid who would finish work in two seconds because it was way too easy for her, but we don't, I I didn't really have much else for her. Certainly there's little things I could do, but nothing, I didn't have a different curriculum. And um, I thought that she and all other kids who finished the work really early would be happy to get it done quickly so that they could have free time or have time to do their own thing. And she finally said to me, um, no, I'm bored. (laughs) Um, I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to just whatever, fill in the blank. I don't want to do a choice time thing. I want, I want work. I want to learn. And I, I'm so grateful to her because she, in combination with, um, my own child, it was like, oh, I, I'm, the whole thing about a school system is how different the students' needs are. Different, different, different. And so to meet everybody's needs, if there are 20, 25 kids in a class and I'm on my own, I can't meet them all. Just the, the way the whole system is shaped. And so who do I turn my attention to first? Probably the kids who are acting out the most mm-hmm. so that the behavior can get under control. And then I'm moving to kids who are um, academically behind because of state testing, because of government funding, because, 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 and the kids who are getting my least, the least of my attention are the kids who sit back and they're quiet and they do their work. And, And even if they're done in two seconds, like my own son. So 
it has been an eye-opening experience on on what we are not doing for children. And I don't think I could open my own school and suddenly have all the answers because 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 we need more funding. We need more um, paraprofessionals who need to get paid more and get more training and, and the mm-hmm. whole system, like I said. <laughs> it's a big yeah. issue. Yeah, it definitely, it it feels really heavy when you like look at all the little pieces. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of little pieces. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there definitely are for sure. Well, yeah, I could continue to talk about that. Um, yeah, same (laughs) for the sake of time, we could move on. Tell me, okay. So like you said, you had been in the state of, I'm sure also, you know, feeling lonely and isolated. I know I felt that way Mm -hmm. when my son was diagnosed. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast was just to like have these conversations. Um, and that is what inspired you to Mm -hmm. work on this mission that you have now. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So I, I was, I was the same way. I first kept everything inside, like I said, and that isolation and that shame and that guilt and really depression started to build up. I did try blogging for years. I do enjoy writing. Um, And that was very therapeutic. um, And I enjoyed writing it out. Um, But blogs can sometimes be hard to have other people find. And I realized that I was looking for the connection. That was what was missing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my friends were sympathetic, but they didn't understand. And and I was looking for a true friend that I could call and say, Hey, you completely understand what I'm going through. Because when you do that, when you do connect with other moms who get, who get it, you start to feel better about yourself as a mom. And it's like, wait, this, I'm not doing something wrong after all, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm actually doing everything right. And so I started the podcast for the same reason as you. And, um, I thought, well, if I talk about it and maybe, maybe I'll find other mothers that way. And sure enough, I did. And every week on my show, I bring on a mom um, and, and she shares her story of raising a neurodiverse kid. And it's just to bring that awareness and that exposure of what neurodiversity looks like in children to my audience. But that was fabulous. And then I found that when I would record with these moms, it was like, Hallelujah. I have found you. I, I Can we be neighbors? Like I, I'm so excited. <laughs> and then we would start up a friendship and it was like this, this is what's missing. So I started to do a little search looking for a community that I could join um, specifically for neurodiversities in general, really aiming towards before you have that diagnosis or before you even, maybe you never get one mm-hmm. um, that initial period of what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my kid? How can I, I'm not a good mom. I wasn't meant for this. And sort of those early feelings. And I searched and I I could not find what I was looking for. So I went ahead and made my own um, because that just felt like the right move. And it was. So I started a support group. Um, It's called Mothers Together. And it is a, um, an online group. I started it in August. It's only been a few months. Every month I reopen it and bring on some new moms to join in the conversations. And basically um, I have a forum that that there's basically three pieces to it. There's a forum that is off of social media um, where you can post questions um, by category. So you can find moms who live near you or who have a child of a similar age or the same diagnosis or whatever. Um, But then the actual support group itself. And I keep the groups on the smaller side because Again, it's about friendship and connection. And if you have 
too many moms. I always felt those Facebook groups are wonderful. I got a lot of answers out of Facebook groups, but they don't know you. There's 25,000 people in those groups and, and, you know, it's not personalized. And that was what I was looking for. So we meet on Zoom weekly. We just vent and we cry and we laugh and we share stories and um, real friendships have formed very quickly out of it. And uh, I'm very grateful to these moms who've been vulnerable enough and brave enough to share their stories and, and ask for support. And now we we just kind of wrap each other in virtual hugs because it's what we need. And that's what I needed so many years ago and I didn't have. So I'm happy that, you know, I can do this now. That sounds amazing. And I'm so happy to just hear about that and have you share it because so often I, like, I'm lucky through the podcast, I've connected with so many listeners and we'll talk about the importance of finding support and how, you know, it kind of looks different for everybody And I've been lucky enough to make some friends locally who are other autism moms and they Mm. get it. And we are, you know, get together like once a month and are in a group chat, like pretty much daily. And, you know, just they're, they're really there for me. And that's oftentimes I feel, or I hear from people that like, that's kind of what's missing is like having those like real, like you said, real connections and friendships and I always want like more resources and things to share with people. So I'm so excited to have this one to share now. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I think especially if you found them in sort of real life and you can see them, that's wonderful. I just find that so many moms, again, before their kids are diagnosed, they are keeping quiet. They're hiding because mm-hmm. of the embarrassment and the shame and the guilt And so those are the moms that I'm really trying to sort of coax out and say, hey, look, like um, there are other moms here who are raising kids like yours. And um, it's been it's mind blowing to me how these moms have openly cried and openly shared. And there's laughter and there's they're saying, when when are you planning a girls weekend? Like we're all going to get on planes and fly to meet each other. And, And it's happened so fast. And that's how desperate we all need that level of connection. Um, so yeah, it, it's a powerful thing. And, and I feel better now. I have to admit that I feel it's like, Oh, I, I am a good mom. I've been a good mom all along. I never yeah. felt like one, but it turns out that I am. And my kid is exactly who they are. And together we make the perfect pair, you know, and, and that's a, a really great feeling too. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I just, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I feel like that connection piece, that support piece, it really is the difference between, like you said, like just feeling like you are struggling and in the thick of it. And it's not like your situation even necessarily has to change, but it's like having that support and connection, it helps to shift your perspective. And that is huge. Yes. Yes. That is the whole point really it's not just about finding the friendships it also has led to at least for myself but i could speak to some of the other mothers i think too it helps them find themselves and and this realization what are my strengths oh i'm actually really good at meeting my kid where he is during a meltdown or you know i'm really good at advocating for my child um i i understand them i know what to bring with me when we go to the store i know how to handle this situation, that situation. And I couldn't get there on my own. I needed these mothers to help me see it. Um, 
and that's been this extra bonus. It's really about coming to um, a, a acceptance of yourself as a mother, and that that changes everything. Now I can I can walk around feeling okay. Like I don't know what I'm doing all the time, and life is still really hard. But I'm showing up, and I'm doing my best, and that's enough. And I have people who actually get it now. I'm not like this yes. out outsider where you know like like the neighbor looking at you like you have three heads and like what's wrong with your kid what's wrong with you because oh there's other people who are in the same boat yes exactly and that it's no longer the blame just slides off i don't know the guilt the shame it just goes and i have um i'm currently so i run every support group of course until eventually they become such good friends that it's sort of um it, it runs by itself so to speak Mm -hmm. Uh, and these moms are all in the same boat of like, oh, I, I couldn't wait to come and tell you guys what happened today because I know that you understand and, and I no longer am being quiet about it and sitting on that guilt. And, and it's just a really good feeling. It's really wonderful. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause I'm even thinking about like my, my own relationships now, and I'm blessed to have like really great friends that have been there for me kind of through it all. Mm. But there are a lot of things that I do kind of stay quiet about with people who just don't have, you know, a, a, a child with autism or don't mm. understand what it's like, because it's almost like, what is the point of even sharing? Whereas like with, with my, my friends who, who get it, like you said, it's like, you almost like, you can't wait to tell them like, Oh, I just need someone who understands who can listen to this. And, and my friends who I'm super close with and, and love and they love me, it's I, not that I, I don't ever share because I will, but there's so many like little things that it's like, well, there's there's no point in even right. explaining this right. to this person and that they're not going to get this. And I'm going to have to tell this backstory. Whereas like, yeah, when you find those people that just like get it, it's just like putting on that like glove that fits. Totally. Uh, and you don't have to explain every single little piece it's exhausting to do it again just like you said even with friends who do you know they're a great support system but it's still like uh, you know I, i'm going to a birthday party is there going to be cake and ice cream okay is that ice cream you know it's if it's a hot day this was one of my son's big triggers for a while was melting ice cream it just mm. sent him <laughs> through the roof and and he would just absolutely lose his mind so we go to birthday parties and it's like okay well there's gonna be ice cream there and of course he's gonna want some because all the other kids have some oh and i i already picture it in my head well there's going to be a meltdown if he doesn't eat it fast enough and then if it gets too soupy and then it drips on him and <laughs> and planning all of that out how do you even explain that to other right people, you know you're Ugh. exhausted before you even get there <laughs> <laughs> totally and it's like why am i doing this this, this is even worth it yes um, yeah yeah it's a lot oh my gosh well i'm very appreciative of the work that you're doing i know all the moms that are there with you feel the same can you share where people can connect with you find the group find your podcast all that yeah. Thank you so much again for that opportunity. So my podcast is called On the Hard Days. Um, you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and like I said, I bring on a mom every week to share her story. Although the first season was just me sharing mine. So you get a, a better picture of who I am and my mm -hmm. kids. Um, and my support group is called Mothers Together. And you can go to my website on theharddays.com slash mothers together to get more information about it. Um, but I would love for you always to reach out personally. I'm happy to 
chat about your own struggles as well and share more of mine. Um, on Instagram, I'm at on the hard days with dots in between each word. And I also have a Facebook group um, just as a place to gather, um, which is on the hard days podcast and community. Perfect. I will link all of that in the show notes as well. Well, Megan, it has been a pleasure to chat with you. I'm excited to chat for your pod. Yeah. And I'm thank pumped. You, yeah. Just for being here and for sharing and just for all the work you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me as well. You were my, my pleasure. So thank you so much. All right. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Megan. Like I said at the top of the show, I, I just really appreciated hearing her perspective and her whole journey. I think we all go into, you know, parenting thinking that we have things, you know, at least somewhat figured out. And then no matter what kind of child you have, it just seems like all that goes out the window and you have to kind of relearn everything and find new ways to do things that you, you know, once felt like you had like such a handle on. And especially in listening to Megan's story, it just, that, that's all I kept thinking was like, you know, we're, we're all just like finding our footing here. And I just really appreciated her honesty and everything, everything she had to share today. So definitely check her out, check out my episode with her over on her podcast. We had a, a, a really great time recording and and um, I, I, it's always fun to be a guest in someone else's show because I feel like, you know, I share a lot of my, our personal journey on, on, the, on this podcast, but I don't always get to like reflect on the whole thing. And so every time I guest in somebody else's show, it's, it's always interesting because I feel like there's, there's things that even I'm still like processing when you, and I've said this a million times, but especially when you're talking out loud, it's like, you are, you're almost like realizing things as you say them. So it's, it's always really neat to, to, to guest on someone else's show and really an honor to be, to be asked to do that. So yes, definitely check out Megan's podcast on the hard days. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at adventures and autism podcast on Instagram at adventures and autism pod, or you can email me at adventures and autism 2018 at yahoo.com. I always love connecting with you guys. I've seen a few new, uh, reviews over on Apple podcast, and that always just warms my heart. It makes me so happy. Truly, thank you so much for the kind words and just for supporting the show. Um, I have a, I've been pretty honest about the fact that we have been dealing with a lot of kind of rough stuff behind the scenes here lately and really hearing from you guys and seeing those reviews, uh, it just lights me up and just kind of reminds me why I'm doing this and strengthens my resolve to keep going. Um, so that is all for now and until next time, take care.